Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. When we think of specifically our hearts and how to deal with them, when we encounter different losses, whether it's a loss of a best friend, a loved one, or even simply being scorned or hurt by somebody you care about, the reality is is that people's hearts do get hurt. And what we want to discuss today is specifically what the Bible has to say regarding a broken heart. And what are some of the answers that Scripture gives regarding such a matter? So to discuss that with me is none other than the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. Praise Lord Chad. Uh, tough subject. I think every believer, every human being, if they've lived a significant amount of time on the planet, not to take very long, has been heartbroken at times. And we'll all face that at times. And it's a, a way the enemy would really try to get a foothold is when we are heartbroken, take us the wrong direction. So it's an important topic uh, that we stay close to the Lord through it, that we find our healing in him. No, amen. And this is a topic, you know, when we were talking about different things to discuss this week, this one is one that comes up a lot, specifically in pastoral ministry, yeah. because you deal with people that simply are at a loss. Uh, you deal with people that loved ones have died. You deal with people who they've done wrong and are now dealing with the consequences of maybe acts that they've committed. And when it comes to all of these different types of issues, you know, maybe we could give a couple of examples, I guess, just, uh, you know, as a pastor, some people coming to you and saying, hey, you know what? I just lost somebody. What am I supposed to do with this? Maybe we could talk about some of those more difficult ones as well. Yeah. Sometimes a big part of pastoral ministry has been described as, uh, which I've always liked this because it's very real. I've been doing pastoral ministry for almost, what, 35 years, is uh, it's the job of a pastor, at least in part, to uh, comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And what that basically means is you've got a lot of people uh, that are afflicted because we live in a fallen world. And we're not in heaven yet. You know, we are in a world that's fallen and that's ravaged by sin and, and hopelessness and despair for so many people. And uh, you also need to afflict the comfortable in the sense of the lukewarm, for instance. You need, you know, through your preaching, through your teaching, through your encouragement to, to really deal with our sin and not get comfortable in it, but make sure we repent. But a huge part of ministry is comforting the afflicted. And uh, you can only comfort the afflicted if you yourself understand who the God of all comfort is and you yourself have been comforted in the midst of your own afflictions. And the Lord readies each of us. The, it's been said that the Lord uses doesn't use someone greatly unless he first wounds them greatly. And you can go back and go through scripture and uh, you can see the trials, you know, whether it's Jacob, his wrestling match where he gets a you know dislocated you know limb, uh, hip, and then he's relying on a staff, uh, but also he's ultimately relying on the Lord, you know. And uh, so I'll go through afflictions and go through trials, but how do we come out of them? And it's important to turn people to Jesus, uh, to turn them to the scripture, uh, to let them know that, you know, the reason they have a heart and a broken heart over a lot of different issues, and it could be anything, like you mentioned, a loss of a loved one, it could be 
the loss of a loved one through death. It could be the loss of someone you care about through a breakup or a divorce. Uh, it could be over, you know, sin uh, specifically uh, that just, you know, disease, debilitating diseases and so forth. There's so many things that break so many people's hearts. And the, the, the great thing is, is that in Christ, in the midst of all that, amidst the fact that we deserve actually death and hell, uh, we can have the joy of the Lord in the midst of our afflictions, and we can be healed from our brokenheartedness uh, through allowing the Lord to minister to us and crying out to him and relying on his promises. Yeah, and one of the things that has taken place even here at, at the ministry specifically, I know for myself, you know, I lost uh, what was my best friend, the best man at my wedding, uh, very early on uh, in my walk with Christ. And it's very interesting. It's, it's a long story. I don't want to get all into it. But at his funeral, his grandparents, who when I was dropping him off at his house all the time that we would pray for, uh, his grandparents attended the funeral. And that was, what, eight, nine years ago. Yeah. And they have been faithful followers ever They're since the funeral. with us to this day. <laughs> Amen. And one of the biggest blessings in all of that, I, I remember specifically only a month after uh, the funeral, uh, the his grandfather actually had a heart attack, was in the hospital, and all of the ladies, uh, all of the older ladies in the church were in the hospital with Linda and were there for her. And just a month and a half before that, none of them would have been there. She would have been doing this on her own, but yeah. the body of Christ, when you really do see, uh, see. the fellowship that happens when we are now have communion one with another and we've been reconciled one with another because of what Christ has done. It is beautiful. And to see God take so many tragedies, and we've seen this so much uh, in your years of ministry, Joe, but to see him take tragedy, things that you would, you would look on on the surface, you'd be like, this is horrible. How can anything good come from this? And to see salvation come from it so often, it's pretty incredible. Right. And, and, and that's interesting because, uh, that's what so often happens because the scriptures say the Lord is near uh, to the brokenhearted. And uh, when people are brokenhearted, you know, the Holy Spirit, before they know Jesus, is knocking on their hearts, drawing them, and they can respond or they can become bitter. And you hope and pray they respond. And one of the beauties of being brokenhearted is the nearness of our God, is that since he's full of love and compassion, and we read that he's full of loving kindness and, and slow to anger and full of compassion throughout the scriptures. Uh, he cares. Remember when Hagar was booted out of the tent by Abraham because of, uh, you know, his sin and choosing the wrong path there. And she was in, in, in tears and what's going to happen with her and her son. And, you know, and the God who sees, you know, uh, revealed himself to her and that he was there to take care of her and her son, if she would but seek him. And she was not, she didn't know the Lord, you know, and so many people come to Christ that way. But we as Christians, I mean, we have such an advantage because the people that don't know the, the Lord, I mean, my heart's been broken. My wife and I have shared tears a number of times, you know, when you see what's happening to, you know, the civilians, the, the, the women, the children. And also you feel for the, the men as well. Everybody uh, being destroyed right now in Ukraine and you just, your heart just breaks and uh, you pray. Uh, we're praying that the church is strengthened over there and then where the refugees are going, that they'll find Christ and so forth. and it's just heartbreaking, but the beauty is, is that as Christians, God is with us as believers when we suffer. And that's huge because you have the creator of the universe, the one who heals the brokenhearted is with us. And some scriptures I'd like to share along those lines is Psalm 51, 17. And this is the context of David blowing it big time. I mean, he committed adultery. He sent uh, the husband of Bathsheba, Uriah, to the front lines. And that underscored his sin. 
Uriah was the Hittite. You know, he was an Israelite, sends the front line to hide his sin. And for almost, you know, around a year, he was unrepentant. And God began to deal with him radically. And he finally came to repentance. And when he was in a place of repentance, hating his sin and his wickedness, you know, after many verses that talk about his, you know, just crying before God over his uh, sin, we read this in verse 17. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken heart, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. It's important to know that if you're brokenhearted today, it's because of something somebody has done to you or something that just happened to you or something that is a result of your own sin. If you're repentant in that uh, and, and your heart's broken and you come humbly before the Lord, he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud and he'll give you grace and he'll be with you. Psalm 147.3 says he heals the brokenhearted. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Psalm 34.18 says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And that's great news, you guys, because he's right there. He's right there. And if you're a believer, he lives in you. And he's God with us. Remember, Jesus, one of his names is Emmanuel. Uh, one of his titles, God with us. And sometimes, I mean, when you're in the fire and you just think, man, I've, I'm so brokenhearted. I just feel like I'm just going to shrivel up and melt away. Uh, he's with us in the fire. He was with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? He was the fourth one in the fire in Daniel chapter 3. And I love it because as things get worse and things get harder, you're going to be dealing with, we're going to be dealing with, the, the, the church will be dealing with more and more heartache, more and more betrayal. Brother will betray brother. You know, Jesus says he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword of man's foes or enemies shall be they of his own household. And a mother shall be against daughter, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and so forth. And he goes on and the word of God's a sword. And those who reject it sometimes will just, you know, because they want to justify their sin, they'll try to just persecute you, uh, try to find any kind of inconsistency in your life and, and bombard you with uh, just anger and hatred, and even brothers in the last days, because the love of many will grow cold. And literally in the Greek, it's the love of the many, hope, many, uh, the many, meaning the majority of, of the professing body of Christ at that time, uh, it seems will fall away there in Matthew 24, and there'll be a lot of betrayal. And Jesus in Matthew, uh, it's underscored in Matthew, it's kind of a theme in Matthew, is forgiving, so you can be forgiven. Uh, forgive your, Forgive those, Jesus taught us to pray, you know, uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And he goes on to say, if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, your father won't forgive you. And we see that also. And if you do forgive, you'll be forgiven. And in Matthew 18, 21 through 35, he talks about the, the guy that was forgiven 100, you know, uh, uh, 10,000 talents. Hmm. Each talent being like a lifetime yeah. of work in the economy of those days, like 10,000 lifetimes worth of debt. And he's forgiven, but he refuses to forgive. And we have to make sure that that brokenheartedness over you know, our own sin in the past or over what's happened to us or over the sin of another against us does not allow the enemy to get a foothold where we don't seek the Lord. So I think it's important that we recognize like as things get worse during the tribulation and the birth pains that lead up to the tribulation that many believe we're in right now, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. So he's with us. A couple of the verses along those lines uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, verses uh, five and six, we read this. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Some are brokenhearted because of a promotion they didn't get or a job position they didn't get, they get or their school, you know, collapsing because of COVID. And as far as them being able to, and, and they're just like, man, but he says, be content with what you what you have. And he says, I'll never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Everything, if we're, if we're building our lives on the things of this world, you know, our hope is in the things of this world. 
That's all going to be taken from us. We're going to lose that eventually. If you if your hope isn't in Christ, you know, where shall you stand in the end? So it's critical. And he goes on to say in verse 6, so that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? So it's really, really critical that we have an intimate relationship with the Lord, that we don't just don't know Scripture, but that we seek the Lord of Scripture through prayer. We emphasize the importance of having a relationship with Jesus. Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is the eternal life that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And you're not going to get over heartbrokenness because it's one of the consequences of sin unless the Lord heals you. I've encouraged people that have, you know, been victims of someone cheating on them and what have you. I've seen great, you know, uh, results as a result of what man meant for evil. Uh, people repenting, getting right, turning to God. I, I could write a list of people through the years that I've seen go through things that are horrendous, not just that, but others, and who are trophies for the, of the Lord's grace right now. Uh, and there's, there's redemption, uh, but there's also great danger because people harden their hearts as a result of sin often. And then I've seen people fall away as well. Uh, so, uh, but it's an interesting question because uh, if somebody's just devastated because somebody has, and a spouse has actually cheated on them, I'm able to encourage them in, some of, in, a, in a way that I've, I've found very, very profitable by letting them know that God himself, and it's interesting, you, use, you, you mentioned a couple of scriptures, uh, what, you know, like when we put the world before the Lord, that's a form of spiritual adultery. In fact, he says to his bride, the church in James 4, 4, you adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God, whoever therefore makes himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So he calls the church adulteresses. The world can't be adulteresses spiritually because they're not married to the Lord, right? But, and it breaks his heart. And I let people know that, guess what? We've all fallen short of God's glory. But this severe sin that you're undergoing right now, Jesus went through it because his bride has committed adultery on him. You go to the Old Testament and you have an entire book, Hosea. And Hosea, his wife Gomer, cheats on him. And his heart is just so broken up. And we don't have time to get into that whole thing there. But I'll let them know that that's, that's God's wife cheated on him. That's Israel. Jeremiah chapter 3, he gives her a writing of divorcement because she won't return to him. And then he says he's going to make a new covenant. And he's going to get his bride back through a new covenant. Jeremiah 31, not based on the law that came through Sinai, hence the reason we're not under the Mosaic law, we're under the new covenant of Jesus, which he inaugurates in Luke chapter 22, and he makes a new covenant, but he is the, he is the one who's been cheated on. And when you read about that in Jeremiah, it's interesting, in the book of Jeremiah, and then also in Lamentations, which is written by Jeremiah, think about how heavy this is. You have Jeremiah weeping and crying, and he says, if my eyes were fountains, you know, He's just bawling over the pain he's going through, but he's the prophet of the Lord representing the Lord. And that's the Lord through Jeremiah showing forth his grief as to what his people had done to him. So when Christ came uh, into the world uh, and he called his disciples, the immense pain that he must have gone through when they had all forsaken him and were denying him is just unfathomable. So I'm able to let people know that if you've been cheated on and you're a believer, you're entering into the sufferings of the Lord in a way that many people don't have an opportunity to. It sounds strange, an opportunity like it's something that you want. No, it's not an opportunity. It's not something you want, like I hope my spouse cheats on me. But if that happens to you, you, there's an opportunity now to relate to the Lord with a sense of pain that he has undergone that you wouldn't be able to experience otherwise. And you're able to say, wow, what I'm going through is nothing 
by way of comparison, because we're finite, by the way of comparison regarding him who is infinite in the pain that he goes through with regard to our own spiritual adultery and unfaithfulness that we've had throughout our Christian walks whenever we've fallen short of his glory. So if you put that in perspective, and that's what we do as Christians, and that's what I need we need to do, and that's why I do in pastoral ministry, but it's not just pastoral ministry. We're supposed to encourage one another, all of us as believers. And 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 if you've been the victim of someone who's brought that kind of pain to you, the one you need to look to is the Lord again. He's got all the answers, and he's the one that has gone through that beyond what anybody else has gone through that, and he can comfort you through that and also let you know, hey, now you see how painful it is for me when you turn away from me. And I think there's a lot to learn in that in that regard. But one, I mean, we need to go a step further, is that God works it for the good. So when people go through a great calamity and they go through heartbrokenness, whether it's a loss of a loved one regarding death, whether it's a loss of a loved one because someone has forsaken them, cheated on them, divorced them, and whatever the case may be, that's when you need to hold on to God's promises. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11, the Lord says he makes all things beautiful in his time. You need to trust him that, hey, guess what? You're going to get through this. And he's going to make all things beautiful in his time. But not only that, Romans 8, 28 is not a cliche. It's biblical truth that God indeed works all things together for the good, for those who love him, for the call according to his purpose. So again, when you recognize his promise, you say, you know what? what whatever brokenheartedness I'm going through right now, as painful as it is, I'm going to trust God's promises that even that, and by the way, oftentimes, especially that, especially our trials that are painful, James chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 5, verses 3, 4, 5 uh, are passages in Scripture where it talks about how we're to rejoice in our trials. And that includes when you've been spurned, when you've been hurt, when you've been treated in an evil way, uh, because it's through those things that God makes us strength, strengthens our faith, helps us grow in grace, helps us grow in uh, proven character as we pass the test and perseverance, and we become more like Christ. And that's key because if your objective in this world as a believer, if becoming like Jesus is down the list instead of first thing on the list, glorifying the Father, becoming, being restored into the image of Christ. Because remember, that's the big problem on this planet. Sin, man. Sin separates us from God. It causes, uh, it causes you know, a, a separation because of our guilt. It also causes, we have fallen natures. That's the two big pro- problems. We always, I often refer to that as we're in double trouble. Humanity's in double trouble. A lot of times, People preach the single aspect of the trouble we're in. Uh-oh, we're, we're guilty. We need to be forgiven. Come to Jesus and be forgiven. But they don't look at the other aspect of the trouble, that there's double trouble. Yes, we need forgiveness. That's why we emphasize that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. But we also emphasize that there's. we also have a sinful nature, a fallen nature uh, that looks more like the enemy than Jesus, you know, with humanity and how wicked they are. Do what thou wilt. But the, the, he doesn't only forgive us our sins. He comes to live in us. And he resides in us and he remakes us right, you know, back into the image of God. And Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the father. And the scriptures talk about putting off the old man, putting on the new man, whereby we are made again now anew in the likeness of God, according to holiness and truth, according to the truth of his word instead of lies, according to holiness as far as behavior. So when we look at Romans 8, 28, it's so many people quote that out of the context. God works all things together for the good for those who love him with the call according to purpose. They say, well, everything that happens, now that's a good thing. Well, no. It's for the good if you're becoming Christ-like, because the very next verse, Chad, uh, starts with a conjunction. In the English, it's for, but it's, it's a conjunction in the Greek. Same deal. God works all things together for the good, for those who love him and the call according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 
So he works things to the good by making us more like Jesus. Therefore, if some, if we, if we suffer being forsaken, and uh, whether it's being cheated on or or friends, you know, I mean, Jesus, think about him. He came to his own, and even though he made the world, the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own knew him not. His own family rejected him at first. His brothers and sisters, right? His disciples had forsaken him. The nation of Israel had rejected him. The Romans with Israel crucified him. The world rejected him. And he's called the man of sorrows. So when we go through pain and anguish, we're able to identify with what he's gone through and become more like him if we seek the Father and say, Father, help me to have your perspective through this and help me trust you and become more like Jesus through this. So if we look at becoming like more like Jesus, as a, a central aspect of what it means to be a Christian, I believe the central aspect is to glorify God and become more like Christ to glorify him. Then, then our suffering is not in vain and God, and God uses it for the good. But if we become bitter in our hearts and we become angry at God, well, it doesn't say he works everything for the good for those who are bitter in their hearts at God. It says he works all things together for the good for those who love God. They call the corner's purpose. That's where trust must kick in. And you must say, Lord, you're the creator of the universe. I know you don't make mistakes. You never say, oops, you're still on the throne. And I'm going to, you've got those, those, those hands that he molds us and we're the clay. He's the potter. You know, one of the one who quarrels with his maker, don't quarrel with him. Recognize that those hands that form you are nail pierced and they're nail pierced because of his great love for you. And I, those who committed spiritual adultery against him, he became a man and died in our place. And when we go through anything, it's nothing compared to what he went through important to remember and it's important to remember that those hands are nail pierced and he's perfecting the work that he's begun in us as we look to him and love him yeah and it's really interesting too when we really take a, a really deep look into israel as a whole especially the old testament but yeah. isaiah 57 15 is one of my favorites for both the exaltation of who god is but also how he comes to the contrite and this is what it says in isaiah 57 15 for thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place. If I stop there, that's a fine scripture. That's awesome. We have an awesome God. That's He doesn't stop there. And also with the contrite and the lowly Amen. of spirit in order. Why does he Why does he strive with them? Why is he with them? In order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And not only is that definitional, to what happens in the new covenant when we are given the Holy Spirit inside of us and we now have a joy to sing with that we can sing one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs making melody in our hearts of the Lord. And we have this new covenant that's a better covenant according to Hebrews. This is awesome that we're in it. But we also remember this has been the character of God all along and he has used contrition. He has used people being broken to bring him to himself as the psalmist cried out, Lord, don't give me too much that I forget you or too little that I'm tempted to steal. But we always remain, as Paul said, he, has, he, he knows that he has the strength to do all things through Christ who strengthens him because of what? What was the context of that in Philippians 4? Whether he's abased or abound, whether he has much or has little, he knows that through Christ he has that strength because he is his all in all. That's it. Amen. It's all found in Christ. And we know that this has been the same God of the Old Testament. It's the same God of the New Testament. Yahweh, the Old Testament, Absolutely. Yahweh, the New Testament, we see the same thing. No, that's that's beautiful because there in Isaiah, I mean, high and ex, the highly exalted one. I mean, you go back to Isaiah 6 and it's there that, you know, Isaiah is pronouncing woes on everybody in chapter 5. Woe to those who get up early in the morning and get drunk, you know, and so forth. But then he goes to the presence of God and sees him high and exalted. And he says, woe is me, right? And 
the passage when he sees him as holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, as a seraphim, you know, worship him or caught up in the wonder of his power and his, his majesty. Uh, that passage, as we know, is quoted in the Gospel of John of Jesus. And it says Amen. when Isaiah saw Jesus' glory, that's how the NIV translates it. The context is his, it says his glory in the, in the Greek, but it's referring to Jesus, the whole context right there. So he is the highly exalted one. And it's, it's interesting because Dennis Prager may have the view that many uh, anti-missionary Jews have is they'll say, oh, you know what? That's really speaking of the suffering servant there in Isaiah 53 is the Jews, which is absolutely, I'm sorry, it's just ridiculous because it says of the Jews, all of us like sheep have gone astray. But the Lord has laid the iniquity of us, the Jews, Israel, all of us upon him. And he was cut off from the land of the living and by his stripes were healed and so forth. And uh, he was bruised for iniquities and so forth. And, and, and so it's interesting because a little bit later in Isaiah, uh, chapter 59, 61 and so forth, you read statements like, you know, the Lord says he looked, he searched for someone to, to deliver, someone to stand in the gap. And he could find one. You know, it's almost when you read in Ezekiel, uh, Isaiah, you know, there's no one to stand in the gap. There's no one even, not even one righteous like we read, like Daniel, you know, uh, and we read different holy men in the past. He can't find one. But he says, I will save them with my own right hand. And I love that because the first time I saw that, I think I was reading another, I think I was reading, I'll save with my own right hand. And my mind went back to, wait, that's Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53, right after what you read, Chad, which is the title of Yahweh, we read in the beginning of Isaiah 53 that the Lord himself says, uh, you know, uh, that he will unreal, he'll reveal his right hand. And his, Jesus at the right hand of the Father, and it's Yahweh, it's Messiah, because he can't find anybody to die for our sins, to pay for our sins, to take care of the sin problem, except God himself. And it's he himself in the context of those other passages I referred to that comes and brings ultimate judgment and so forth. But it's, it's critical that we understand that as Chad began, as you, you began with, I love the passage where it says he's a God that's both exalted and he's a God that's near. And that's powerful. I mean, that's one of my, those types of passages are among my favorites because he's sovereign, he's exalted, he's on the throne, but he's such a powerful God that he's near. And years and years ago, uh, my father-in-law was, you know, you know, he's now confessing Christ, Lisa's, Lisa's dad, uh, praying that he grows and everything else. And yeah, because someone at the church randomly street witnessed to him, not knowing who he was. That's right. From Somebody right. from this church. That's crazy. A prophet's not accepted in his own town. It's a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God how God works, you know? Yeah. And uh, it was a crazy story. Uh, but he asked me years ago, he goes, Joe, my concept of God is so much bigger than, you know, the, the Christian concept because he's so powerful that he and so big. He'd be so big, you don't even care about this planet and what's going on here. And I said, that's where you got it wrong. I go, God is so big and so powerful that he has full knowledge and he's so loving that he's intimately acquainted with us and cares very deeply about each of us, so much so that he gave his son for us, you know? And uh, I just think it's important that we understand he is such a big God that he's sympathetic toward us and he cares for us. And I think uh, this passage I really love in Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16, because whatever you're going through, keep in mind, Jesus was tempted in every way as you've been tempted. And he went through every trial that relates to the trials that we could possibly think of uh, to one degree or another as far as temptation and facing uh, temptation. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we profess. Let's hold on to our faith, right? Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. See, he became our kinsman redeemer. That's in Hebrews chapter 2. God became a man 
to redeem us as the God-man, but we have one who was tempted in every way that we are, yet he was without sin. In fact, he was heartbroken more than any of us could possibly even imagine. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And why that's so important is because you might say, man, nobody can really relate to the trial that I've gone through, the temptations I'm facing. Jesus can. He went through them without sin. And he offers you forgiveness and he offers you strength to overcome in the midst of your trials and temptations. And that's very, very, very important, you know? No, I, I just that text, you know, it's so interesting. You know, when I when we were talking back and forth, hey, can we do this? Let's do this subject. I think a lot of people will be blessed by this. The, I mean, all of these texts, I, I think everyone you've had on there, I had on here as well. You know, we didn't even, we didn't look at notes, but that text, just thinking of Jesus sympathizing with us in that manner. We don't have this high priest that we can't relate to. Yeah. We just visit him one time a year or something that the veil has been torn. That's right. We go directly with confidence. With confidence. And that's the context. Yeah. I mean, it's right. it's so beautiful. I mean, it, I just want to encourage you, if you haven't read the book of Hebrews, you're a new believer, or maybe you're a believer who has read the book of Hebrews and you're like, yeah, I read through it and go, just stop. You know, you can even press pause on this and come back. Go read the book of Hebrews. Yeah. yeah it's called the throne of grace. Let's approach the throne of <laughs> yeah. grace with confidence for mercy in time of need. You know, that shows you that we don't reach here in age of a period of where we're const- we're absolutely perfect. We don't have to grow anymore. We always have need, you know, in one degree or another. So we cry out to him, but it's not the throne of wrath. Oh, that there's wrath coming from that throne. Just read Revelation chapter eight, you know, and other passages. Uh, but for the believer, it's the throne of grace. And that's just, it's beautiful to know that he loves us and he longs to have mercy on us. As, as he has mercy over all of his works, it says, and he longs to have mercy over us as a father does his child. I've had a few children. Chad, you have a few children. <laughs> we long to be merciful to them and show them grace if they're only willing to be, you know, repentant and, and come to us and, and, and seek it, you know. And it's important to understand that he sympathizes with our pain. You know, he Jesus wept, shortest, well, second shortest verse in the Bible. Uh, when you, you rejoice always, that. yeah. Yeah, rejoice <laughs> always, right? It's kind of interesting. Jesus wept and rejoice always. But Chad, I know you're going through some, you know, heartbreak brokenness right now. And in the midst of, in the midst of it, you're able to rejoice too because mm-hmm. of the salvation that appears to be taking place. And two years ago, I went through, lost my dad, you know, and uh, it was kind of a trip because I'd never lost a close family member. All five of us kids, mom and dad were alive up until a couple years ago. And I've lost some close friends and relatives, but, uh, and it was painful, but I was rejoicing that he was, you know, claiming to be putting his trust in Jesus and uh, sought his forgiveness and seeking him, you know, Uh, but you know, there's, there's a time and it's happened more lately in the last year than it did the first year. And it's happened more, you know, the last several months. I'll just be driving and I'll think about him and I don't want to get emotional, but I'll just start to cry a little bit. You know, tears will start to flow and you don't pray for the dead. You know, so I pray for others because at that point you just want to pray and seek the Lord. I just give Lord glory. But it's interesting because I wasn't super close to my dad because he didn't know the Lord. I was witnessing to him a lot and we shared, we talked a lot. We spent thousands of hours together, you know, even after I was saved, witnessing to him, encouraging him, talking to him. My mom was saved to go over there a lot. And then, but at the same time, uh, I recognized that, wow, what if he dies without the Lord? That would be incredibly painful. And I have to be honest with you guys, you know, I hope he is right with the Lord in the end because he wasn't saying much because of the state he was in and, you know, have some confidence, but that's where I have to trust that the Lord is good. And uh, we go through certain trials 
for the purpose of also ministering to others. I, you know, you know what? As a pastor, there were you know women that had miscarriages in the church. I was a young pastor. Uh, it wasn't until my wife had a miscarriage, and then she had a few of them, that wow, when a sister came to me and she had a miscarriage or prayed for her and her husband, you know, you pray, you, you try to sympathize. You haven't been there, but you can say, wow, you know, they've lost their child. And uh, but at first, it's like, wow, they lost, they're pregnant, but they didn't really know the child, so you don't really realize the grief until you start to bond with your next child uh, and your wife's pregnant, and then you lose that child, and you might already have a name for that child. And then uh, you, the pain is pretty, pretty deep. And then when sisters came to me after that, I prayed for people or heard about people with miscarriages. It was a totally different deal because I could feel the pain in my heart. Like, oh, that hurts, you know? And so the Bible says that God is a God of all comfort. So he's our comforter. Holy Spirit's our comforter. But the Bible says for us as believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, comfort others with the comfort that you have received. So how do I comfort others with the comfort I've received if I haven't received it yet? You know, so it's when you go through a trial. I remember I went through this horrendous trial. It was like a 40 day trial, you know, like 20 some years ago as a young pastor. And it was horrendous. I was like, it was a word. It was kind of like the psalmist, like, where are you, God? For, I mean, I was getting pummeled for like, it was like about 40 days. And it was so painful. And it was, I was tried in a way, I felt like Job, although I didn't lose my family members. I'm like, wow, you know? And it was after that trial. And my brothers and sisters, I was frank with them that I was going through this thing. And, and I was out of the pulpit for during some of the duration of that time. Uh, and I uh, just seeking the Lord. It was very, very painful. And sometimes maybe I'll share that trial with you guys because a lot of people have been impacted by, you know, what the Lord did through that. But it was after that time that different brothers and sisters came to me saying, man, I had no idea, you know, that I've been through a trial like this. And they just came out of the woodwork where they felt comfortable coming to me because they're like, wow, he went through that, this. I can confide in him. He won't think that I'm just some weirdo, you know? So God wants us to comfort others with the comfort we've received. So if you have scars from a past trial, you know, we need to get beyond that and trust the Lord and look to him and, and grow in grace. But we're able to look and say, hey, look, you know, I went through that too. You know, I went through a painful thing. You know, I lost a loved one or, uh, you know, uh, I was brokenhearted because of this. And then when people see that you've gone through a trial like them, and you encourage them and how you got through, they see that you've gotten through the, the dark cave and that you've been, the, you've been to the light on the other side and that actually Jesus, who is the light, was with you through it. And that gives them comfort in their trial. And because, and Peter does that in First Peter chapter five, where he talks about be sober, be vigilant for your adversary. The devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He talks about the trials that are being accomplished also with you, not with you, but in your brethren that are in the world. He lets them know that we're not alone in what we're going through. And that's why Paul says there's no temptation, prosmos in the Greek. There's no trial that's overtaken us, but that which is common to man. And God is faithful, who with the trial, prosmos, temptation, uh, will not give you, you know, more than you handle, but will. will is faithful to give you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So I think it's critical that we know uh, that he wants to use us uh, to minister to others. So don't waste your trials. Don't waste them and say, ah, you know what, man, I can't believe why I go through that. Well, one reason you've gone through it, not saying the only reason, one of the main reasons become more like Jesus. One of the other reasons, there's several, there's a myriad of reasons, uh, is so that you can comfort others and use it for ministry. And I mean, right now, how many of you are out there thinking, Man, I've been through a lot, but you're not encouraging others who are going through those things right now who you could be encouraging and strengthening in the midst of their trials. So pray about that. 
No, and I, I think that's so many wise words to be shared because as you're going through trials, going through these different these different things that can happen, you know, we were recording, you know, when Joe lost his dad, we were recording, they were trying to get a hold of you. One of the first Good Fight radio shows, you know, when we were doing that, um, when your dad passed. And I know, you know, it's been a, a rough few weeks, you know, and so a couple weeks, you know, with my, my grandpa, but yeah, I do believe uh, he's received Christ. So I am excited about, huge. about that. It's been a long uh, prayer in, in my life. Um, somebody who's very, very close up raised me alongside my parents and so forth. But, but nonetheless, the, the important thing, um, and we've talked about it here is using these things, so many different things in your life that God is willing to use to bring other people to himself or to edify people. And, you know, Joe, I I think this would be a great time to mention, you know, because, you know, you also, you know, and we talked about sin also being something that we're in that God pulls us out of. And I know like when it comes to even the occult and so forth, things that you were involved in, that God still was able to do exactly what he said he would do in Romans 8 to use even that wickedness and to use it. Even though you were practicing these occult-like behaviors, getting into you know, cyber, you know, psycho cybernetics and all this stuff, but then to expose that wickedness through the solar social rock and roll. And then our most recent video Marvel, and you can go to marveldcexposed.com to check it out. It's Marvel and DC's war on God, the antichrist agenda. It's episode one of a seven part, ultimately an eight part series, a video that right here on our channel, the eighth part that'll actually come out before all the seven are done. That will be just a live show of everything without all the clips so that it doesn't get taken down by YouTube. Uh, You can get all the clips right now and you can go on marveldcexposed.com. I'll put the link in the description here, not just the description, I'll put it in the live chat as well so that you guys could go to the website and check out the video because people are being radically saved. I just got a a text message that came through. I took down my messenger on my Facebook page because I was getting bombarded with too many messages on my personal page, so I don't have that anymore, but I did see an image that had come through and it was somebody said, we just went and burned up and ripped up all of our uh, comics and, and DVDs after watching this, which shows you, you know, it's kind of like a, an act situation where they, yeah. they saw the witchcraft in it and they said, I don't want to be involved in it. And that's one of the things, too, if maybe you were, you know, into this sort of music or movies or even pornography, whatever it may be. And to say, I recognize the wickedness. I'm not going to dwell on it like it was something good and talk about, man, it was so awesome. It's good to look back on those days and look at them with you know, and ponder how wonder that wonderful they were, but look back on them in disgust and warn other people as Joe's been doing through MarvelDCExposed.com, through our new documentary there, through They Sold Their Social Rock and Roll, which brought me to Christ, all of these different things, using those very things as we've been talking about for ministry. Allow God to use those things, but make sure you who are spiritual aren't tempted into going and enjoying and instead of exposing them, because it's shameful to even talk about these things, but to bring them to light so that Christ will arise and shine on people's hearts. I think that's so important for us to really grasp and understand. Even when we're talking about trials is to recognize some of those things are self-inflicted wounds, but guess what? A self-inflicted wound, when you go to the hospital, they still help you out. And so we want to make sure we recognize that God's heart is still to help us out if we're willing to come to him. If you stay back and you just bleed out, that's that's your own thing. Mm -hmm. But when you come to Christ, he is the ultimate healer. And then you can be the one to be like, well, if I just had the safety on, you know, <laughs> if I, you know, I wouldn't have shot myself in the foot here. Uh, Joe Bowman, uh, give him a shout out for doing that to himself. Brother but, was, yeah. but, uh, 
but these are this is so important for us to understand. And you've mentioned so many different things, whether it's Jesus Christ uh, specifically being that high priest, we can go right to him because he can sympathize with our weakness. Uh, the fact that in our trial and temptation, we go to him, he's there with us in the test mm-hmm. to help us endure it. It doesn't mean you're going to get yanked out. doesn't mean you're going to get raptured out, but to give you the strength to endure it, but also entering into his sufferings, this idea of actually entering in to these suf- sufferings, how this is a, a biblical understanding of what Jesus went through and how believers can actually enter into the sufferings as well. Yeah, I was thinking it's interesting. You said uh, you mentioned at the beginning of what your comments how uh, you know salvation and you know coming out of what I did the occult and everything and how God you know you, you're broke. I was broken hard over my sin. You know, wow. You know, I started to realize wow, I've offended the thrice holy God and and I was the only Christian I knew. Only one I could turn to was God and thank God for that probably because. If I didn't, I didn't want to turn to any man anyway, and I, I turned to the Lord. And uh, and one of the passages that really helped me is uh, in First Timothy one fifteen, in the following verses. And it's because I was the only Christian I knew, but when I first cried out to God, you know, I didn't know who He was, but crying out in my heart in a very feeble prayer, I wasn't saved at that moment. I cried out to Him, and He delivered me from this demonic attack or this demonic situation I was in. But then when I opened Scripture. And I, I was, he knew I was seeking him. He revealed himself to me. And the Bible says, you know, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? And the secret of the Lord is with those who uh, fear him. And he makes his covenant known to them. He made his covenant known to me, showed me Jesus. And I was like, wow, but I didn't know any Christians. So I was reading the scripture. I'm like, will he accept me? You know, have I been too bad? Because I was really, really bad, you know, antichrist and didn't believe in him, you know, blaspheming him in ignorance, as Paul said. And that very passage where he talks about how he received forgiveness because he blasphemed in ignorance. I, I read that passage and uh, just like John 6, 37, I read that. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I won't cast away. I understood they died for the sins of the world, but man, have I been too bad? And that promise, whoever comes to me, John 6, 37, I won't, I won't cast away. And I thought, wow. And I looked at his ministry and every time people came to him, right? Uh, during the age of grace right now, right? Come to him, he received them. He didn't, he didn't reject them. And then when I read Paul, you know, that God saved him, he said, as the chief of sinners, as a faithful saint, he said in First Timothy chapter 1, that he came to, in the world to save sinners, of which I am foremost, of which I am chief, you know. Uh, he was the worst. And he said, so that let me understand that, wow, God, he said, he'll, he saved me so others would know in the future, or others would know too, that they could come to him and he'd receive them as well. He saved me, the worst sinner, Paul is saying, he'll save you. So that's a, that's a comforting thing to know that he wants to save us. And and I was like, wow. And I was already coming to him. I was like, wow, Lord. Because the Bible says if our hearts condemn us, First John chapter 3, he's greater than our hearts. And I looked at that, but I found something really beautiful in that. I was like, wow, Paul was ravishing the church, you know. And I was comparing that with other passages where Paul was talking about, you know, how he had was destroying the church. And he was full of anger. And he was dragging people out of the houses, trying to get them to blaspheme Christ, you know, to renounce Christ. and that's horrific, right? Well, he found forgiveness. And so it also showed me, as you've mentioned, Chad, that God doesn't only want to just forgive us and but heal and heal us, but he wants to also use us to now Paul's building up the very church he tried to destroy. Now I'm exposed to the very thing that Satan wanted to use me in, you know, and use he, he, how he's using the world. So so understand this. God will get more out of you than you could even imagine because he can do abundantly above that which we dream or think. But we enter into his sufferings when we recognize the pain 
that he went through. And it's important, too, that we turn to Jesus because when we turn to him, listen to this. Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavily burdened. You know, are you weary right now? Are you like tired of fatigue? Are you heavily burdened because you're brokenhearted? He says, I'll give you rest. My yoke's easy. My burden is light, you know. And in uh, John 14, 27, he says, peace I give you. Not like the world gives you peace, but he says he gives us real peace. He wants to give us peace. And listen to Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. And in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And that, that means you cry out to him. That means you pray. That means you call upon the Lord. And you say, Lord, this is the anguish I have. This is the broken heart I have right now. And it's, it's, it seems unbearable. And he'll bear you up. He'll, he'll take your, your burden. You cast your burden on him. And we do that through prayer. And I love it. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, uh, you know, let your you know, request be made known to God. And he'll give you the peace that passes human understanding so you can trade in that broken heart and give it to the Lord and in return get peace that passes human understanding. I think it's Isaiah 27 where it says he keeps them in perfect peace who keep their minds stayed on him. Then you keep your focus on Jesus. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, and he's recounting some of the ways that he was persecuted and so forth and how the Lord was still with him. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be also be revealed in our bodies. So as we seek him, he sympathizes with us and what we've been through, and he manifests his life through us as we align our lives with him through prayer. Isaiah 46, 1 and 2, God is our refuge and strength, and ever-present help in trouble, or the King James, I think, is time of need. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way, I love this, though the earth give way, man, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, guess what? He's our refuge. Psalm chapter 71, 20, though you uh, have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again from the depths of the earth. You will again bring me up. And Chad, I think it's critical, you know, uh, I just, and I think this is so important for our viewers, it's important for you and I and our walks and our, our loved ones and our, our, our children and all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we don't focus on the losses that we've had in the past, mm-hmm. that that's not our focal point because uh, the Bible says a hope deferred makes the heart sad. So if you're focused on a hope deferred, that you, something that's something you've lost in the past, something you went through, uh, maybe you were mocked, maybe you were ridiculed, maybe you were humiliated, could be any reason that people are, are heartbroken for whatever reason, and you focus on those things, you're not supposed to stay there. You're supposed to bring it before the Lord and you're supposed to move on. doesn't mean that you, you know, don't learn lessons from these things. It doesn't mean, and I, I, I sometimes use the illustration of the past as a rearview mirror. Yeah, we, we, when do we look in our rearview mirrors? When we want to go forward better, right? When you want to go backwards, is you only go backwards enough so you can go forward again, right? So same way with life. If you want to go forward, you look back only in the sense of like it says, you know, those things were written down for, our, you know, in the past, right? So we don't fall in the same way they did. They were written down so we would have hope. So we can learn from the past in biblical history. We can learn from our own past, but it's on how we can go into the promised land, how we can go forward. And that's huge because if you're always looking in your rearview mirror, oh, damn, you're going to get an accident, man. And in life, if you're always looking at the past, you're going to stumble and fall and have accident after accident and only have more and more heartache. And many scriptures speak to this issue. 
Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the high prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If we keep looking back at the start where we stumbled, it's a marathon. And we don't look at the, 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 you know, the end and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. How will we reach our goal? I was counseling a woman one time years ago. I got uh, I called uh, because her son wanted help for her because she was in dire straits. And she felt that she had been, uh, it was sad, but she was telling me that she was abducted as a child and used in satanic rituals and so forth. And she was crying. She was so just heartbroken and so disturbed. And I could barely hear her at times to her, 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 uh, her, her tears and so forth. And it was so heartbreaking. But I realized as I was talking to her that the past that she was living in may not even happen. I asked her how old she was because supposedly Satanists were coming through her window while her parents were sleeping and kidnapping her and doing satanic rituals with her and then bringing her back before her parents woke up. And she was just a few months old, she said. And I was like, wait a minute, how do you remember this, you know? And she said, well, she's seen a therapist who's uncovering memories that she can't remember. And then I realized, you know, that she was being bamboozled. And I told her and she just bawled like a baby. I said, you know, it was called to forget. I said, I don't personally. I'm not sure that this really has even happened to you, but even if it did, because her relationship with her husband was just being destroyed, family and everything, I said, we're, even if these things did happen to you, you have to look to Christ, forgetting those things that are behind, reaching forward to those things that are ahead, and seek the Lord and allow him to bring healing uh, through what you are going through. Isaiah 43, 18 says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Do you hear that? Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. And one of my favorite passages on this, because Jeremiah has been rejected by everybody pretty much. And, you know, nobody's receiving his word for the most part. And he writes lamentations about the bitterness of wormwood that he's suffering. He feels like his teeth have been kicked in and so forth. And he says, remember my affliction to the Lord and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. He's just recoiled. He's bowed down. But guess how he gets victory? He doesn't focus on that. He says, this I recall to mind. This I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed indeed never cease. His loving kindness has never ceased. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. I mean, they're right there waiting for you in the morning. <laughs> you can be focused on the past and not experience them. Because his mercy, his kindness, his loving kindness, his compassions are new every morning. They don't fail. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. And that's just absolutely mind-blowing because, you know, uh, he's caught up in what's happened. Jerusalem has been invaded by the Babylonians and, and his people have been ravished and, and a lot of horrific things have happened. And he's just, he's just in such pain. Yet he says, this I recall to mind. He remembers the goodness of the Lord. And this is a huge key to your own victory. Uh, it's a huge key to your own victory. Uh, you know, if I told you to think about, for instance, a fluorescent purple monkey sitting on your car as you go out and it's eating a banana in one hand and it has all your life savings in the other and it's about to eat that, right? Uh, now I ask you, stop thinking about that fluorescent monkey. You know, guess what? <laughs> you might have a hard time think, thinking about it. I'll give some picture like that. But, but what if I asked you, what's your favorite dessert or your favorite meal? What's your favorite two meals or favorite two desserts? 
See, now guess what? Not all of you maybe, but most of you forgot about the monkey for a second because you're thinking about something else, right? A lot of times we focus on the trial that we're in and we don't seek the Lord. And far more powerful than your favorite dessert or your favorite meal, should be anyway, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is more powerful, but he should be that way to you. As we look to him through our trials, and that way we don't, what does Jeremiah do? He recalls to mind the goodness of the Lord. In the midst of all of our ugliness, we can seek him. And that's why when Paul says, cast your cares upon him, or your anxiety is upon him, be anxious for nothing, but everything with prayer and supplications, and with thanksgiving, let it be known to the Lord, and he'll keep you in that perfect peace, or the peace that passes human understanding. You know what he says when he prefaces those remarks? He says, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. In other words, in the midst of our anxieties, Paul's writing that from prison, okay? He would know how to deal with these, these things. And he says to the Philippians, uh, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. He's in prison. He writes about joy in that letter more than any other letter. He's able to rejoice. Why? Because his focus is on Christ. His focus is on Jesus, even though he's in prison. And you can rejoice in the Lord because he is steady. He is our salvation. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. So in the midst of heartbrokenness of things that have happened to us in the past, if we recognize his, his mercies are new every morning, we recall to mind who he is and how we're supposed to be serving him. We focus on him. He keeps us in perfect peace. And we begin to experience his joy, recognizing he's gone through far more than we have. And therefore, he can hold us up and get through whatever we go through. And I think that's important because uh, I've walked with the Lord a long time. Chad, you've been walking with the Lord for a few years now, too. And we recognize the joy of the Lord is such an important part of our, our walks with Jesus. But if we're focused on the past and not on Jesus, we're going to be perpetually brokenhearted. Now, at the same time, we can even be brokenhearted of something that's going on right now in our lives. The Bible says weeping, yet what? Rejoicing. So we can be weeping as far as experiencing anguish. But Paul says we don't grieve like the world grieves, even over lost loved ones. Why? Because we have the hope, the blessed hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in the midst of our tears, we can also rejoice, even though it says Jesus wept and he was a man of sorrows. It says he had gladness, Hebrews chapter 1, above that of his companions. Why? Because he was focused on the Father. He was focused on the joy that was set before him. He was focused on the big picture. And that's where we need to be focused. Otherwise, we will be drowned in hopelessness and despair. No, I think it's so important. And I, I even though we're past our time, I'd hate to you know not finish with the understanding that we are involved in and get to participate in a faith that is culminating, a faith that we get to eventually be sight. And the reality is, is that when it comes to the salvation, when it comes to just the religion, right, of Christianity and, and where we get in the scriptures, when I say religion, I mean, go back and read the scriptures, uh, you know, go back to and, and liturgy, so to speak, and go back and understand that the scriptures teach we see over and over again, we don't have a cyclical God that just, you know, everything just cycles through and the Amen. winter solstice and so forth. But we have a culminating God that's culminating in a new heaven, in a new earth that he will, he will, we will dwell in with him and there will never be another tear. All the tears Amen. will be wiped away and the only scars received will be the one bore by Jesus Christ himself. And that, that's our culmination that we look forward to. Amen, bro. Uh, you know, absolutely. And that's what, that's the thing. We have to realize that our lives are vapors. So whatever heartbreaks you deal with, and we've all dealt with them and we deal with them and we'll continue to deal with them. Uh, whatever you're dealing with, you have to realize, hey, this is the vapor. This life's a vapor. There's light at the end of the tunnel, but there's also for the believer light in the tunnel. And then as we mentioned earlier in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he makes all things beautiful in his times. 
Romans 8, 20, 8, 28 is a favorite verse of millions and millions of people because it's so beautiful that it works all things together for the good for those who love it, the call according to his purpose. But I love Romans 8, 18. Listen to this. I, I consider, Paul says, that our present sufferings, he knew what suffering was, right? I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing uh, with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then in 2 Corinthians 7, uh, chapter 4, he says something very similar. And I love this. And, and, and remember, Paul went through more suffering than just about anybody besides Jesus and maybe Job and a few others. In verse 16 in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, Therefore, do not lose heart. Don't lose heart to a broken heartedness, right? Though outwardly we are wasting away. Maybe you're broken hearted because of physical ailments you're going through. Uh, you can't do what you used to do, or you, you have to take certain medications just to, you know, uh, to, to have enough energy to get up in the morning. Uh, or so you don't have some kind of relapse in some kind of physical condition that can kill you. He says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light, this is interesting, for our light and momentary troubles. That's, and that's how he's saying that in perspective as to what's coming. Are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And he's indicating in the language that he's using there that what we're going through right now uh, is compounded in glory. So the degree that we suffer for Christ, uh, we shall be blessed and, and rewarded in Christ. And he says in verse 18, so because of that, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we need to keep our focus on the eternal, on the Lord. Revelation 21.4, Chad, you already alluded to this verse. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, the new heaven and the new earth. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older uh, or the order of things has the old order of things has passed away. And I leave you with this verse, Psalm chapter 30, verse five, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And we are in the night, right? And Jesus said, embrace him as the light of the world now to those who are listening to him. Because the time is coming, you know, uh, when it'll be dark, right? Embrace Jesus because uh, he's the light of life. He's the light of the world. John 1, 90, enlightens the heart of everyone that comes into the world. If you embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for your sins, who rose again, who conquered the grave, who's making a new heaven, a new earth for us, he says, you see too that your hearts are not troubled, right? Because I, I go away to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. Amen. So he's creating a new heavens, a new earth. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through following. He creates a new heaven, new earth, where and dwell of righteousness. So I want to encourage you, Chad, and I want to encourage you, man, look at the big picture. These lives are very, very short, and there's weeping in the evening, and we gather the sheaves. We're witnessing the loss. We're bringing them in. But in the morning, there's the harvest, man, and the day star will arise in your heart. The coming of the Lord, or you'll pass from this life to be with the Lord and to be absent from the Lord. Uh, the, the, the body, the Bible says, is to be present with the Lord. And Paul said, which is very much better. So it's all Beautiful from here on out for the believer. And the day becomes darker and darker for the last, but it becomes brighter and brighter for those who put their trust in Jesus. Keep Amen. your eyes on Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you guys. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash goodfight. Or you can write to us at PO Box 2202 Simi Valley, California, 93062, or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. 
We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.